the unofficial lounge with Ashante, Craybon, and Monty. We're here to give you the insight into some of the biggest plays you remember involving the people wearing the stripes. We look at the grit it takes to become an official while exploring the history of officiating with the people who made it. It's more than black and white. In this episode, Mr. Coleman opens up about his childhood in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, uh, my nature was James Kilberger. My nurture is David Coleman. Uh, and once again, I am who I am today because of Fred Merritt. Mr. Coleman talks about the feeling a national championship will give you. That, for me, was extremely fulfilling. And one of the, the, the most fulfilling uh, experiences that I have had in my uh, career as a, as a leader in officiating. Mr. Coleman shares his excitement about changes in the Pac-12. I'm very excited and very pleased. Merton's a good man. As I said earlier, you know, we, we knew each other at the NFL. Um, uh, he's, he's, a great, he's a great add to the, the Pac-12 staff. All right, everyone, welcome back to the unofficial lounge. We are joined today by the vice president of officiating for the Pac-12 conference, David Coleman. A little background on David. He was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. He is a graduate of West Point. He served more than 20 years in the U.S. Army, retiring as a lieutenant colonel. Spent multiple years as a human resource director for multiple different companies before being hired to the NFL as director of officiating, then leaving that job to now become the vice president of officiating of the Pac-12 conference. Please, everybody, welcome David Coleman to the unofficial lounge. All right, so Mr. Coleman, jumping right off, you were born and raised in Cleveland, and just to get to know you a little bit better, we understand and that you were adopted as a young child. Yes, that, that, that's right, Craven. And, and let me say before we, we, we launch here, it's uh, a, an honor and a pleasure to be with you here in the unofficial lounge. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I look forward to spending this time with you uh, to talk about me and football and whatever else might come up. Thank you, sir. Um, thank you. To start it all off, Yes, I, I was given up for adoption uh, <clears throat> immediately after I was born and spent about four months in foster homes. Uh, and uh, the Coleman's uh, picked me up uh, at, at that age of four months and uh, took me in. And, and I was raised, uh, raised as David Coleman. Interesting sidelight, my, uh, my birth name, which I didn't really comprehend, uh, as, as to what it was, um, was James Allen Kittleberger. Uh, and um, uh, then I became Frederick David Coleman. But uh, the, 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 the course of my life was, was actually charted uh, by, by the Coleman's. Uh, and uh, many years later, uh, after my mom and dad, Fred and Mary Coleman, were gone, uh, for health reasons, I went back to, to see if I could find out about my roots. Uh, okay. And I was uh, successful in doing that. I was still in the Army at the time. 
and um, found a lot of interesting information. Uh, I was the oldest of, of six. I have five natural siblings, uh, two brothers and three sisters. Uh, it, it was uh, groups of two except for one sister. Uh, the other two brothers and sisters had a, a, had a, a, a sibling who looked like them. And when I showed up, I looked like my sister who didn't have anybody who looked like her. So, okay. uh, you know, all these little things happened. Uh, I never met my natural father. Uh, he died uh, about 20 years before I, I, I met my family. Uh, and uh, the, the situation is... Uh, now, uh, and, and I did get to know my natural mother. Uh, we had a pretty good relationship. Uh, it was interesting. She wanted me to be her son. Uh, and I said, Joanne, uh, her name was Joanne. I said, Joanne, uh, you gave me, you gave me life. Thank you very much. But my parents are, are, or were Fred, Fred and Mary Coleman. Uh, so, uh, this, it stands right now. My two brothers are gone. Uh, one of my sisters is gone. Uh, they've died. Uh, but uh, I do still have my two youngest sisters and uh, saw, saw one of my sisters a couple weeks ago. Uh, she brought her daughter to, to, uh, to Cal Berkeley where she's entering a, a graduate program in, in energy management. Uh, so I've got that one of my family members, one of my nieces here uh, to, uh, to spend some time with uh, as, we, as we go forward. Uh, but um, it's about nature versus nurture, okay? Uh, my nature was James Kilberger. My nurture was David Coleman. Uh, and once again, I am who I am today because of Fred and Mary. So, Mr. Coleman, growing up, did you knew did you know that you were adopted, or did, is just something you found out later on in life? I knew. I knew. Okay. Um, quick bit here: when I found out my true roots, uh, my birth certificate was was locked up in Columbus, Ohio, in the Bureau of Vital Statistics, and I had to sign for it. It was in a sealed envelope. Uh, the, the woman there, the clerk, brought it out to me, unsealed, unsealed it, and gave it to me. And I looked at my birth certificate, uh, and I saw that my name was James Allen Kittleberger. That was news to me, but I immediately went back to an event when I was about four years old, uh, skating around on my on my uh, on my uh, roller skates uh, in the kitchen while my mother Mary was was cooking, and I asked her, "Mommy, what was my name when you got me?" And she said, "James Kittleberger." Wow. But that did not come back to me until I saw it on the paper. So I knew wow. it. Wow. I knew it from my earliest memory, and what my folks always told me when when. Um, you know, we'd have a little spat or something like that, and, uh, and, 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 you know, I'd get in trouble and, you know, say I was going to run away or I was going to do something crazy uh, and, or talk about another kid and what they were doing and why couldn't I do it. And they'd always remind me that, uh, uh, Davey, um, you know, we got you because we wanted you. Uh, so I was cool with it. I didn't know the true history of being biracial until, until I met my natural family. I had no idea about that. Uh, so, uh, but, but, you know, my earliest memory took me back uh, to the fact that, 
that I was in fact adopted, uh, but I was in a loving home. And uh, along the way, uh, I really, I just fit in with the, with the Coleman families, with my mother's side, with my father's side. I had cousins I looked like, uh, you know, had great relationships with, uh, with all the members of the family and was totally accepted uh, by both sides of the family. And it wasn't a big deal because I just fit in. Okay. So did you play any sports growing up? Yes, I, I did. Um, played organized sports, not until I was in, in high school. Uh, but, you know, growing up on the block, you know, there was the basketball hoop down at the corner. Um, uh, we used to play a game called Strikeout in the, in the schoolyard. I don't know if you ever played Strikeout. Uh, okay, it's, it's uh, you know, there's a, there was a, a strike zone painted on the side of the building. And somebody pitched. You hit rubber ball and you had fielders out there. And, you know, that was, you know, kind of our baseball. We played, played a lot of pickup. Um, there was, a, there was a vacant lot over two streets from us uh, where the kids on my street uh, would, would play football, pick up football against the kids uh, on, the, on the other street. And uh, Jim Brown, football player, lived right next door to this vacant lot where we played. And oh, wow. once, or, once or twice, he came out and leaned on the fence and watched us play. And the game got really good. <laughs> you know, he never threw the ball with us. He never did anything like that. But... But, but Jim Brown, you know, was an icon when we were kids. Uh, he was playing for the Browns. The Browns were a good team. You know, they won. that's when they didn't have a Super Bowl, but that's when they won a championship beating the Baltimore Colts. Uh, and many years later, when I was an instant replay official for the National Football League, uh, Mr. Brown was there. This was a, a game uh, several years ago when the movie on Ernie Davis uh, came out. Oh, okay. Uh, you know Ernie, the story of Ernie Davis, who was the next Jim Brown at Syracuse, but right. unfortunately uh, had leukemia and never played. Uh, but Mr. Brown was there, and uh, he was sitting in a golf cart, and I walked up, waited my turn to – this was on the sideline before the game – waited my turn to say, hey, uh, Mr. Brown, I just want to introduce myself to you. Uh, and I did that. Uh, we started chatting, and he asked me, he looked at my credential, he saw instant replay, he said, well, tell me about what you do, we're chatting. People were trying to come up, talk to him, he said, don't you see I'm talking to Mr. Coleman here, you know, you have to come back later. So I said, Mr. Brown, let me ask you a question. You used to live on 147th Street in Cleveland, right? He said, yeah, that little white house. I said, yeah, well, I grew up on 145th. And I said, Mr. Brown, do you remember the kids? And he finished the sentence who played football in the lot next to my house. You're one of them, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. So we continued to talk. Uh, but, um, you know, grow, just growing up in Cleveland, so many special things happened uh, to me and, and, and interesting crossings and, and back and forth that, you know, just I look back on and then to, to have the opportunity to meet Jim Brown. And I've seen him a couple times ever since. We'd, all, we'd even talked about playing golf. I don't know if he's still playing or not because he's, he's kind of older and, and uh, his health is not as good. Haven't gotten right. to do that. But, uh, yeah, those are just some of the special memories that, that I have from, from growing up in, as a kid in Cleveland. So, so how was it growing up in Cleveland and then going to West Point? It was tough because when I was growing up, it was not popular to be in the military. Uh, you know, it was the Vietnam era, 
I, I, there were kids who I knew uh, who went to Vietnam. There was a, a, a young man a little bit older than I was, lived on my street, went to the Marines, never came home. Um, and a lot of people tried to dissuade me from going to West Point. But it was something that I wanted to do because, you know, looking at my father, uh, he was a World War II veteran, uh, went to college on the GI Bill. He got a commission and served in the occupation forces in Germany at the end of World War II after he carried mail. Uh, before that, he went back to carrying mail, got his college degree, went to law school. Uh, but he was in the National Guard and Reserves. And he used to bring the Jeep home. He had a Jeep. And he used to bring it home and park it in the garage and he'd take me for rides in it. And he wasn't supposed to do that. But I just got, I just I got. To say, could, you, could you bring the government equipment home? Like, hey, it was, it was the 50s. It was the 50s. It was different back then. He brought that Jeep home every week, you know? Yeah. It was, it was a little, the world was black and white. Yeah, it, was, it was easy there. Um, but, but. <laughs> I, I, I kind of became a mascot for his National Guard unit. He was a company commander in the 372nd Infantry, which was actually a black infantry unit in the Ohio National Guard. Uh, I had my little uniform. You know, I'd go to drill uh, when, when they met on the weekends. Um, I, uh, I went to, to Camp Perry where they qualified for their, uh, for their, uh, their marksmanship and things like that. Uh, and I was, like I say, I, I just hung out with them. So the, the, the army thing, I just got, I just got a, a, a bug that bit me. Uh, and I just started talking about the army. And I'd always, dad and I would talk about the army. And we had this conversation. I'm about 12 years old. Uh, he had brought home a West Point catalog and laid it on the dining room table. And it sat there for a couple days. You know, my mother moved it when she was fixing dinner and then put it back again. Finally, I picked it up and looked at it. And I said, Dad, did you bring this? He said, yeah, I just want you to see about West Point. I said, well, what's West Point? He says, well, if you want to be in the Army, you need to be an officer so you can be a leader. Uh, and if you're going to be an officer, the best way to become one is to go to West Point. Uh, so I set myself at age 12 on the, on the trajectory of preparing myself to attend the military academy. You know, I had, getting back to the sports, I played a very good game of football. I was a linebacker and an offensive guard uh, in high school. I was all independent. Uh, in, uh, among the independent, I was all, there was no conference, but I was all in, on the all-independent team. Um, had some offers to play football from some smaller schools. Uh, I actually got an invitation and went to the University of Michigan, but I knew that wasn't really serious. I wasn't D1 quality in terms of my football. Uh, but that was a nice trip uh, and met, uh, met some people up there that, that, that uh, gave me some lasting memories. Uh, but um, <laughs> I was also co-captain of the baseball team. Uh, and uh, so I had a, a good athletic background. And, and that just, in, in a small high school, uh, you know, you needed to be physically fit to pass the entrance exam for West Point. Uh, so, you know, that environment of sports and athletics uh, as well as the, uh, the, the, um, the, the encouragement of my, my family. And by the way, dad knew the congressman, uh, Lou Stokes was the congressman. In, in it's always good. It's always good to get a hand up. Yep. He nominated me. I got turned down at first, uh, but they went back and got reconsideration. 
uh, and uh, I, I got into I got into the class in 1973, uh, and you know the rest is history from there. So at West Point, wow. uh, were you boxing? Uh, is that where your officiating prowess started? Yeah, I was. I was a, a boxer. Uh, we had to take a boxing class in PE, and you know. I didn't like wrestling, but I enjoyed boxing. Boxing was something we used to do back on the block. You know, we'd have some gloves, and we'd get back there, and we'd, you know, you know, do, you know, push and shove and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I enjoyed boxing. And my boxing coach, uh, instructor, was the, uh, was the head of the football intramural program at the academy. Uh, we played D3 quality football. You know, because everybody was a good athlete who, who came to, to West Point at the time. And it's pretty much the same uh, still. But you could, only, you could only play a sport, an intramural sport, for two years. And um, then you had to, if you stayed affiliated with the sport, you could either coach it or officiate it. So I played my first two years and went to Coach Creighton. And, and, you know, like I say, he was the head of the program. And, he, and I asked him, I said, can't we make an exception to policy here, coach? And he said, Coleman, you know the deal. You know, you either if you want to stay with football, you, you know the two things you can do. You can officiate or you can coach. And he said, what do you want to do? And before I could answer him, he said, you're going to be an official. So he gave me, <laughs> I had black shorts, gym shorts. He gave me a whistle, a flag, and um, – And, uh, and, 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 and put me out there on the field, really didn't teach me anything, but I had my whistle, I had my flag, uh, and um, no beanbag or anything like that, and I just ran up and down and officiated the sport. So that was my introduction. Uh, okay. And then fast forward 10 years after graduation, I went back to, to West Point on the staff in the superintendent's office, and I was asking people about who do I, you know, what, what do we do when we move somewhere and we're an official? We find out who, who can we affiliate with? Who, where's the association? And I asked around and they said, well, go see Coach Creighton. I said, Coach Creighton? Coach Creighton was old when I was a cadet. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Coach Creighton was, <laughs> he was still there. So I, I went and found Coach and uh, he was still coaching boxing and all that kind of stuff. And I was an intramural boxer too. I boxed 170, 167 pounds uh, in the in the intramural program. Hold on, before you go anywhere, uh, and he me what, what, what was your what, what was your record? <laughs> hey, whoa, <laughs> you, you can't go too contenders. far, Mr. Coma, without telling us your record. <laughs> he was undefeated. <laughs> you got I don't, I don't remember how many fights I had, but I only lost one. Oh, there okay. we go. All right, there we go. There we go. He lost. He lost the weigh in. He ain't lose a fight. <laughs> So, it Mr. Was, Coleman, before before we get too deep on your officiate, which we're gonna get to, let's let's continue on with your military career, and we're okay. very interested in how was it working for General Colin Powell? He hold up, he got to get that Cravon. He had to start out as a first lieutenant, second lieutenant, second, second lieutenant. lieutenant, second lieutenant to get there. Like, so, what was your first military assignment? Okay. How did you did you ever? Did you have a dream of going to working at the okay, Pentagon? Well, that's how I started officiating. Uh, and uh, when I graduated from West Point, I had hurt my knee uh, in, in intramural sports. And 
I had surgery on it. It was really a cartilage situation, but that was before arthroscopes and things like that. So I had a knee operation. Uh, and when I got my commissioning physical, I was disqualified from combat arms. But because they had invested a four-year education in me, they didn't let me go. They gave me a waiver to be commissioned in a non-combat branch. So I chose the Adjutant General's Corps, which is human resources, which was the best decision that I ever made. Gave me a bad knee that I still did, is still bad today. Uh, and that's another story as to why I had to stop officiating on the field. But, but um, with, with, with that said, uh, I, my first assignment after basic uh, officer training was in the 101st Airborne Division. A bunch of us who were classmates at West Point knew some guys who had graduated the year the year before us uh, and two years before us who were at Fort Campbell, Kentucky in the 101st. So there were six or seven of us uh, and we decided we wanted to go to the 101st too. So when we got to the 101st Airborne, it was, it was interesting in terms of how the networking went. Um, General Colin Powell was a young 36-year-old full colonel brigade commander in the 101st Airborne Division. And he took it upon himself to reach out to all new soldiers who came in, but especially black soldiers, black officers who came in. He was a senior black officer in the 101st Airborne Division at the time. And he, what he referred to it is, you need to check into the network, check into the net. Uh, so when we got there, the folks who we knew had already checked into the net and every other Friday after work, Colonel Powell was at the bar in the officer's club and we just showed up <laughs> and we hung out, had a couple of drinks, okay. talk army, talk life, uh, you know, and, and I mean, the cat, you, you, you know him as a, as a general uh, you know him as the Secretary of State, advisor to the president. Well, my first introduction to then Colonel Powell was there as a young second lieutenant. Uh, and that was something that stayed with me. And then when, when, when I moved on throughout my career, I had no idea about the Pentagon uh, until, you know, I had become uh, a senior major uh, and was coming back from a, from a duty in Germany. Uh, and while I was in Germany, uh, General Powell spent about a year as a, as a, as a Corps commander, uh, three-star, uh, and then he became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, and um, I don't know if it's, if, it's, if it's true or not, but he, he might very well have seen my, my name uh, on, the, uh, on, on a roster of people coming to the Pentagon, but I ended up in the Jef Deputy Chief of Staff for Personnel Office. Uh, in, in the Pentagon. Uh, so my boss was the director of the Army staff who reported to the chief of staff of the Army and the secretary of the Army. General Powell was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, so he was their boss. Uh, and I'm walking down Whoa. the concourse one day, went into the bookshop, and there's General Powell. Now, we had name tags on, but he looked up and he said, Coleman, what's going on? And I said, sir, I'm good. How you been? He said, it's been a long time, hasn't it? And he actually wow. remembered me from the 101st. Well, he started the conversation. Just, wow. 
So, you know, so we, we were used to sit at our meetings. I was a note taker and memo writer for the, for the senior army leadership. And, uh, you know, heard, you know, General Powell never came into those meetings, but he would be on the, they call it the bat phone. He'd be on the, the squawk box on the, on, on the, uh, you know, on the, on the, on the teleconference, uh, participating in those meetings. I uh, would run into him every now and then, but he was a great influence on me just by virtue of his stature. Uh, and then, and then me uh, having the opportunity to observe his career as it unfolded. And I ended up back in the 101st uh, as a Lieutenant Colonel. So my first assignment in the army was in the 101st. And my last assignment uh, in the army was in the 101st where I was the called the G1, uh, the G staff, the general staff. Number one is personnel administration, human resources. Number two, uh, G2 is intelligence. G3 uh, is plans and operations. Uh, that was David Petraeus at the time. We went. We were in the same company at West Point. So, you know. Hold on, slow down. Hold you hold can't on. just hold run on. past that, Mr. Coleman. You can't. You you you, you name dropping these names <laughs> like. You talk, you used to say in Craven name, you know. <laughs> well, Petraeus and I were in the same company. He was a year behind me. We were in the same group of cadets. You know, in fact, I was his I was his uh, uh, team leader when he was a plebe, a first year cadet. I got a picture somewhere of of, of him uh, and a uh, you know with his back against the wall, holding his rifle out when we were hazing him. Um, well, but, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I, I was going to ask I that. I would reframe uh, when you were guys were having he can a say it. He, situation. He, he can say it. The statute of limitations <laughs> over with, Monty. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's, that, that was back in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was early 70s. Give me credit. Uh, on. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> but, but, but Petraeus and I were, were always cool. And, um, you know, um, I actually talked to him uh, about the opportunity. He was a uh, coming out of battalion command in the 101st about the time I was leaving the Pentagon. Uh, and that's one thing when you get to the Pentagon, you do well, you can, you can, you can, you can pretty much choose where you want to go next. Right. right? And, uh, my, my three-star boss, General Dominic called me in about six months before it was time for me to leave. Coleman, you've done a great job. Where do you want to go next? Um, sir, I want to go to the 101st and be the G1. And Craven, you'll recognize the name of General Mike Rochelle. Yes, sir. Uh, I followed Mike as the G1 uh, in the 101st. He was the okay. G1 before I was there. We were both lieutenant colonels. Uh, and he and I had met. He was in that group of young officers who was there back when we were lieutenants. Okay, that's when we met. So we had stayed friends and served together uh, in the same branch, Adjutant General's Corps, Personnel Management Administration, HR for uh on several occasions but he went on to to three stars and you know i had an opportunity to leave and and uh and and, and uh get into the private sector uh, when i was a lieutenant colonel after 22 years so when i left the army it was at the 101st so mr coleman uh so i'm out here in vandenberg air force base so for you was the officers club as 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 fun as it was here at vandenberg <laughs> or the nco club the, the fun place was the NCL club. <laughs> and, and honestly, I mean, I, 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 yeah, statute of limitations is over, right? 
<laughs> honestly, a couple of us used to sneak into the NCO club every now and then. Because that's, that's where the party was. <laughs> that's where the party that's was. Right. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, the club, you know, like, like I said, great things happen in the club. You do business in the club. You know, what, what Colonel Powell, General Powell did in the club, um, you know, having the opportunity to just, you know, get together and spend time with folks socially. Right. I mean, right. we, we worked hard six days a week uh, because we were usually in there on, on Saturday and maybe even on Sunday if we had to be. <laughs> uh, but we take a break on Friday yeah. night, you know, and, you know, hang nice. out. Yeah. Nice, nice. So I, from what we already discussed, I, I mean, you have, you have a history that most will say that that was uh, the beginning, the end, and, and all of it. But it continued on into the private sector. And then now going back to you, getting into – I got one, Craven. Oh, sorry. We, we didn't ask. My bad. So how was it officiating in Germany? That's a good question. It was interesting. Um, we, we, did, we, did, we did flag football with the soldiers – uh, you know, the Department of Defense has, uh, has schools for, for the children of, of American service members. Uh, so there was a high school. Uh, we did high school ball. At that time, high school ball was in the NCAA rule book. Um, so worked high school ball. And then also there was German-American football that was played in the spring. Those, those were, that was the precursor to um, NFL Europe. Okay, NFL Europe kind of came in and put their, their mark uh, later in later years uh, on the German-American program. Uh, it was mostly Germans on the team, but they could have a handful of Americans on the team too, and those were usually service people. So I became, uh, that was my first leadership position in officiating, I was I was uh, the uh, uh, the coordinator of the group of officials that serviced the Third Infantry Division, Würzburg, Schaffenburg, Schweinfurt, uh, and we officiated all over that area. And then sometimes went to Munich and Stuttgart uh, to do German American ball. So we were in essence officiating, and German American ball was the NFL rule book. So I was introduced wow. to the college year year uh, rule book there. Uh, with high school and then the NFL rule book uh, in the German American program. Uh, so it was, we did a lot of football over there. Uh, and, and I also at the time was, uh, was officiating softball. Uh, so I, I did a lot of officiating when I first, when I got into the army after I finished playing and saw that I could make a little money doing officiating, you know, I got kind of serious about it. You know, twenty five. Come on, hold up, Mister Coleman. You trying to you pick up officer. these thirty dollar, twenty dollar games? You stealing money from it? You an officer? <laughs> you got bars and stars. You can't be stealing money from the troops. No, no. They, you know, you're, you're right. There were not many officers who did it. Okay, but I just, I just, I just love being on the field. You know. Oh, there you go. That's why when I come to your games, where am I before the game? I'm on the field. You know, I got to get. Got to get on that grass, you know. Um, okay. Uh, so you know that that the army the army did a lot for me, but it introduced me to officiating. Uh, and then when I got back to the Pentagon, you know, I got to tell you that that's where I met Tom Beard. Um, got you. 
my first conversation with Tom Beard was uh, somebody told me, you know, once again, like when I found Coach Creighton, who do I talk to to get associated with somebody in D.C.? And I would called the CIAA, uh, and the supervisor of the CIAA at the time didn't need anybody. I actually missed a year. I was in transition. My first year in the Pentagon, I didn't officiate, so I had some time to work on it. But he gave me Tom Beard's phone number. So I called Tom Beard. I'm sitting at my desk in the Pentagon, and I introduced myself, Mr. Beard. My name is David Coleman. I'm a, 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 I was a, still a major at the time uh, in, in, the, in the Army, uh, work at the Pentagon. Uh, I'd like to get affiliated with the uh, officiating, and I told him who, 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 told, who told me to call him. Beard said to me, well, Coleman, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. You're going to have to show me if you could officiate. Oh, wow. I took the phone. Wow. I looked at it. I said, who is this? Wow. <laughs> who is this? So, and, this is, so, and this is after you've already told him that you're working for the Pentagon and and, and – he didn't, he didn't care. care at all. <laughs> yeah, he dropped yeah, the names. Right, the name so he did. Hey, he called from the company. He called from the company phone. Like you well, know, say, this is before call blocking worked. He got a blocked number. Yeah. <laughs> but but that I mean, Mister Mister Beard became the godfather. I never had an official godfather. Okay, okay. So Beard became my godfather. He was he was my godfather in officiating at that particular time. And he was my godfather in life that, that I never had. Beard did a lot, lot of things for me, you know, and with me. You know, when I was going through some tough times in my life, Beard was there. You know, if I didn't call him once a week, he called me. Why didn't he call me? All right. And then he, he really, he was, a, I don't know if you, you guys ever had the opportunity to get to know Beard. You know his legacy. But, uh, you know, he was a great man. He was a great man. So uh, I got a question for you, Mr. Coleman. Uh, does... Uh, the affectionate nature that you have for Tom Beard go back to uh, the situation with the adoption and everything, just, just finding yourself. Do you think there's any connection? Well, there? Not, not, not really because I had, I had not found my, I had my, I had not yet found my true self at that particular time. Okay. That was a few years later, but, but, but when I did go through that transition in my life of, of gaining that information, Tom and I had some, some very deep and, and meaningful conversations about what I was, what was unfolding for me at that particular time. Okay. So Mr. Coleman, you, you make it, you make it seem like it was easy. I know as, like you said, you was a major, it's not hard for you to give up your time to officiate. So how did you have to fluctuate between you doing your military duties and taking those time off from stealing those games from those enli enlisted guys that you was taking them from early on. Well, in, in the Pentagon, I really, I really couldn't do it. When I got to the Pentagon, I was focusing on high school. I was in the DC in the DC district, uh, and that's when I got into the into the in D three college. Um, gotcha. But out there, out there, when I'm in a, when you're in a, in a in a combat unit, sports are a big part of it. Yes, so, they take it seriously. You know, on if bases. I told if I told the colonel that hey. Sir, I got a game this afternoon, or let me leave early to go to a game. You know, it was all good because we were working with the troops. There you go. Yeah. Um, so it was it was part of the total program. Awesome. Wow. Got you. I, we need more bosses like that in the real world. 
I know it's. I, I know. I know. It, it, but hey, Mr. Coleman's one of them. Hopefully, me and Monty get the chance to experience. Oh, uh, here we go. Here go the first time. <laughs> hey, so, uh, number one. Does does that total program <laughs> fall into the program you created while you working with the NFL? Are you talking about the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, working with the college officials and correct, like correct. that? Correct. The ODP program. Does, does that total ODP? person program? Yeah, well, that, that goes back to my military training. You know, sometimes people criticize me for being talking about that too much. But when you spend 26 years of your life, four in school and 22 on active duty, there are certain things that one learns that just don't leave. Okay, right. there's, there's the work ethic. Uh, yeah. You know, there's the, 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 the tenets of leadership. There's caring about people, taking care of the troops. Everybody you hear me talk about the troops, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, so, you know... All of that goes goes into um, the the opportunities that might come about. And and um, before be, when I retired from the army, that was goes back to high school. Once again, connections. You know, it was my high school classmate. We played baseball together and football together in, in high school. Who had this packaging company uh, in Cleveland, and uh, we saw each other at a reunion. And he said, what you doing, man? And I said, I told him, I said, what you doing? He said, well, I got this little company out there that we make, we do packaging materials. And one thing led to another and he, he needed a human resources person and made me an offer I couldn't refuse and I retired from the army. I could have continued to move in the army, but it was time for transition. Uh, and, and I've been blessed in terms of things happening for me at the right time and being in the right place to take advantage of them getting to the Pentagon and, and meeting Beard, meeting Johnny Greer, meeting Larry Upson, meeting Ben Montgomery, uh, all those names you know and recognize, meeting, I mean, Scott Edwards and I, who is currently an NFL official, we, we worked, we used to drive to MEAC games together, okay? Okay. Uh, Boris Cheek. Um, oh, you wow. Know, you know, I, I, Boris will tell you if, he, if he's had, if he's, if he's, if we're joshing around, that I showed him how to wear his uniform back in the day when he first started. Okay. One thing Everybody that Everybody needs that person. Huh? Everybody needs that person. Yeah. Everybody needs a tailor. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, I actually had a chance to, to officiate in the, in the uh, Canadian league. If you'll recall uh, back in the nineties, they put some teams in, in the States and there was one in Baltimore. Uh, and I interviewed and was offered an opportunity uh, in the in the Canadian League, but I was being reassigned from the Pentagon to Fort Campbell to the back to the 101st, uh, so I, I had to turn it down. Uh, but Boris got that gig, uh, and there were a couple other guys who got the gig, and that was you know Boris never officiated college football. He went from Canada to the NFL, uh, right. wow. and he's still there. He's still there after over 20 years. Uh, but um, y y you know just. Things happening. That's what I'm talking about. Things just being being ready. You know, that's why I talk about the whole person all the time. You gotta you gotta be ready to uh, uh, take on the challenges that present themselves to you. And 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 in doing that, that has to that has to give. You have to have a, a wide field of vision so you're not missing any things that that are going on. And that's about the preparation. And that's about you know the the the, the dedication uh, and the commitment and the professionalism that we have to, to have in whatever we're doing, but especially when it comes to officiating. 
So with officiating on the field, so you missed out on the opportunity to work in the Canadian football because being reassigned in the military. Uh, but on the field, you work for the MEAC and the MAC, correct, on the field? That's correct. I started out in the ODAC, Old Dominion Athletic Conference, Division Three, uh, And then the MEAC picked me up. Uh, and then uh, when, I, when I retired and got back to Cleveland, uh, once again, uh, the, the gentleman who was the AD uh, at the high school I went to was a, 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 a Big Ten official. Uh, and he, he gave me a push and got me into uh, the Mid-America Conference. Okay. And so what was your first opportunity then to work with the NFL? Okay. I, I worked, unfortunately, I could, got to tell you the story here. I, I could only, I was only on the field in the Mid-American Conference for a year uh, because my hip started to bother me. Uh, and for, for health reasons, I had to step away uh, from the field. Uh, but the NFL had been scouting me. I was, I was in, they didn't have a, a, a real development program there, but they were, they were sending people to my games to watch me. And I guess I got a little bit of cred there. Uh, and after I stepped off the field, it was a couple of years later that I got the call. Larry Upson is the one who called me and offered me the opportunity to be instant replay for the NFL. Hey, Mr. Coleman, can, and, can I hold uh, you real quick? Hey, Mr. Coleman, <laughs> that, 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 that is his big time. That is big time. You've been stunting the whole show, Mr. <laughs> Coleman. But that's you. You just, I gotta say, we ain't big time, Monty. He's stunting right now. Like <laughs> that, that, that is an wow. impressive, impressive, impressive feat. And this is what you don't get when you harass these supervisors at these clinics. If you take the time to just have a conversation with them about life instead of, hey, hire me, you would get this conversation. But people missing out. You got, hey, it's you, 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 you got to put in your work, man. You know? Right. I've been trying to get a drink with you, but you keep pushing brush me off. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it. But, well, you know, when, number, when that's they, number two. So, so you know, that's – I got that call from, from Larry, and, you know, I knew Larry from D.C., and, you know, I, I remember watching Larry. I was a timekeeper at a at – in the D.C. schools, they had a, a turkey bowl on Thanksgiving morning. And I was new there, and I hadn't really gotten the opportunity uh, to become a referee in the, in the high school level yet. So, um, you know, it was the, 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 uh, the Eastern Board of Officials. Larry was then working in the MEAC, uh, but he was – the first time I watched Larry officiate was in the Turkey Bowl. I was the clock operator for that game. And I saw Larry work the line of scrimmage. And I'll never forget how he worked the line of scrimmage. And a year later, he was in the NFL. Okay, oh. so, you know, those relationships and those contacts, I mean, it comes full circle. You know, I don't have to explain, you know, any more than that. It, it just comes full circle. So the bottom line is you got to do your work and you got to be ready when somebody taps you on the shoulder and take advantage of the opportunity. Absolutely. So I did 10 seasons. I was in my, going into my 11th season in instant replay for the NFL, worked Super Bowl 40 in Detroit uh, in the booth. Uh, and um, hold up, hit the button, Monty. Hit the button. <laughs> can't, we can't call you big time the whole episode, <laughs> Mr. Coleman, but you just kind of 10 years in the NFL again. working, <laughs> working, and then 
Super and Bowl then 40. The Super Bowl. Congratulations, sir. I hate to interrupt. My bad, my bad, sir. Mr. Coleman. No, just had to, had to state had to state that. And and it was it was that that DC connection that DC connection. Now I know you got your connections where you're in LA or wherever, but that DC connection um, led me to the full time opportunity at the NFL, and that was a call from Johnny Greer, who said, "Hey, they're looking. Carl Johnson had just become the VP of officiating, and they were looking for someone to come in and help him out." Um, and at the time I, I had transitioned from the packaging company cause my, my buddy had sold that business. Uh, I'd been working for a French company for a, a year or so. Uh, and I took a couple trips to, to New York and interviewed for the position there. And, uh, Ray Anderson was, was, uh, the executive, uh, executive vice president of football operations. Uh, so that's how I ended up there. Wow. Uh, so, so now leading into you being a part of the Pac-12 as vice president of officiating, that circle kind of continues because Ray Anderson is now affiliated with the Pac-12 as well. So once again, that, that circle of influence and, and, and people that you got to know and being prepared in those situations probably put your name in a hat for the Pac-12. Build your network. Exactly. Build your network. Exactly. Hey, it's it's about knowing the right people. I keep telling Monty he he messed up knowing me. He got to pick his best friends better. Well, that's why I'm talking to Mr. Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Merton, Merton, that's where I met Merton. Okay. Merton so we're going to talk about him uh, yeah. a little bit later. But let's kind of get into now you becoming the vice president of the officiating of the Pac-12 in charge of, uh, you know, coordinator of officials in charge of a f- football as well. So when it comes to officiating, kind of what you, you we've been talking about, it's usually that, you know, it's a circle of people that we know that are getting these positions are getting hired into the conference. Our LA connections in a sense, Southern California connections help us get into the Pac-12. How was it for you coming all the way from, the East Coast, that DC area, now being coming to the West Coast, and you know, really in a situation to where you were out of your area, to where the f- officials on the field didn't really have the knowledge of who you were. Well, that was DC by way of Cleveland and Pittsburgh before <laughs> I got here, um, and, and and New Jersey, okay, uh, for the NFL, but but. Once again, uh, you you, got to reach back. I had to reach back and take everything that I had. In the Army, we called it a rucksack, which you put on your back, you know, got everything. When you go to the field, you got your rucksack on your back. Keep that rucksack, and you just put stuff in there. And when it's time to bring it out and look for a new opportunity, those experiences can hopefully translate into demonstrating potential and potential is very important and i and i strive and i and i when i look at an official i'm looking at potential okay because usually an official who i'm looking at hasn't officiated at the level where i am having a responsibility in the management arena so does this person have the potential so i've always tried to bring my potential to an opportunity 
and then demonstrate my ability to live up to that potential once I get that opportunity. And I've been very fortunate in having people see that potential in me. And that's what happened with the Pac-12. Um, and they checked me out very, very clearly. You know, they, they did their diligence. Um, and, you know, I had, I had no, no idea, you know, before I got that call about the possible opportunity. Uh, honestly, I didn't know that much about the Pac-12. I knew kind of the schools that were there. Um, I, I, I'm not a West Coast person. I've moved many times, almost 20, 20 times. Uh, I've moved in my professional life, you know, moved from one place to another. Uh, so it was just another adventure. Plus my, my son and, and now his family are, 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 are in Oakland. So that was, a, that was a positive ad because we hadn't been able to spend much time together prior to that for, for many years. Um, so, you know, being ready, you know, bringing, bringing that potential and, and selling oneself uh, to the decision makers that, you know, that, 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 that I can step up to whatever the challenge might be. And this was a challenge. This is probably okay. one of the biggest challenges I've ever had because I was an outsider. That was tough in and of itself um, because I didn't necessarily have the pedigree of the people who are in positions like I'm in. Not to say I'm not qualified for it, because I feel I totally right. am qualified for it. But to come in a different, in a, on a, along a different road than many people do to get to what I'm doing right now, obviously, uh, was, was, was a challenge. Uh, and it's, it's, not, it's, it's not been easy. It's been tough. You know, there have been the bumps along the road, but, you know, maybe the tire got a little, got a little soft. Maybe it got flat, but changed the tire and put it back on and, you know, continue to march. Okay. I know, Mr. Coleman, in this, today's environment, we talk about unconscious bias. And being that you came from out of the area, what bias do you feel, like, with questioning your judgment, do you feel like you're in, in the position that you're in, do you feel like your, your judgment is questioned more than others in your position? That's always been the case. I've had to work hard to prove myself in everything I have done. Okay? You don't, you don't, don't, I, I've, often when, when we talk about unconscious bias, uh, we have to relate to the fact that there's, there's not a free pass that others might get that we don't get. Okay, so that's why um, we, we, have to, we, we have to make sure that we're on our game and we're focused on the business at hand and that we in our role, who have a role of responsibility, will remove the unconscious bias from how we operate, how I operate, understanding that I have to deal with it, you know, just because of who I am and what my background is. Is there, wow. what, so with this, is there any, any advice you have for uh, a young minority official who wants to be the next David Coleman? I, I would I would say that I mean it, I'd be honored that if somebody wants to be like me that make me really feel good, but you know want for the young minority to to be who they want to be, and that's once again that's that's the hard work the dedication understanding that 
often as a minority, we have to work harder than everybody else to achieve what we deserve to have when it's given to others. You know, I don't think that's, it, it's, in, in my lifetime, I'd hope to see that change. Um, but, you know, what, what is now unconscious bias, as I was coming along, was overt bias. I mean, you knew it was there, okay? Now it kind of hides, it hides, and it'll raise its head when, when, when it's necessary to do that. And I know some of the challenges that I have probably faced uh, have, have been due to that. And, and growing up even in Cleveland, okay, it was, it was tough. It was tough. Uh, and, and, you know, there were folks that, that I met and came into contact with. And, and um, when I went to high school, I went to a private high school after coming up in the, in the public schools in Cleveland. Uh, and it was a small school, but for three years out of the four years I was in high school, I was the only black in my class. It was a small class, but I was the only black in the class. Uh, and then the last year, a couple more guys came in, but I was the first, <clears throat> first black student to graduate from that high school after spending four years in the high school. Okay. So, wow, that's you know, impressive. that's another thing that it's, it, you know, it's an, a little known fact but it's, 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 it's meaningful. And, and, you know, fortunately, you know, I was able to overcome whatever obstacles and barriers that I had. Uh, and, you know, when, when, when we enter a new environment, uh, we have to understand clearly that there is, there can be bias there. And it's been, and it might not be something that comes up and slaps you in the face. So that's why you got to keep looking over your shoulder and making sure that, Hopefully you got somebody there who's got your back for you. So, so since you, you, you've been through this and you understand the, the bias that's been uh, presented to you, does that give you a much better perspective when hiring and uh, for officials, uh, evaluating. evaluating for officials of all uh, all officials, I want to, uh, men, women, so men, you're men outside, women, you're dealing with outside. Yeah, of your men, women, everything. Is that perception that you faced help you be a much more uh, uh, meritocracy in your hiring for uh, everyone? Big words. Yeah, it, 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 it does. And, and, you know, the footprint, okay? There's no footprint anymore. You know, I was looking at some, some, some data today. You know, there's Big Ten officials out here in our footprint. There's, yep. there's big 12 uh -huh. out here in our footprint. Okay. Yes, yes there are. They are? Okay. I'm looking for the best people. I'm looking for the best people. Awesome. And in, even though we're constricted right now because of, uh, of, 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 of COVID-19 COVID right. uh, and not being able to move around and travel as much, uh, you know, people, people go, there are people in Hawaii who applied to the Pac-12 and said they'll come, they'll fly from, from Honolulu every week to work a Pac-12 game. It doesn't, we're looking, we want the best people. Now we got a lot of good people here. Yeah, you do. You do, Mr. <laughs> Coleman. You I do. That. I know that. We got some up and comers. I got my eye on them, okay? Uh, you looking at them right now? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know about Muncie, but hey, you do. But, but you know, the, 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 the need to to, 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 
to be inclusive. And, and that's, how, that's how we overcome the bias often, is to, is to present an inclusive mindset and, and let people know that the good person who's well-qualified you know, is going to be considered, and the good person who is the best qualified of those who are well-qualified are going to get the opportunity. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, or what you look like, as long as you can meet the expectations that we have. Whole person. And unlike many jobs, we have expectations of, of, of fitness, mobility, and all that sort of thing that have to be part of the program that we get criticized for sometimes too. But that's not just for the program, that's for the individual and their health and well-being. Yes, sir. The whole person right. got to right. take care you, of it all. You know, when when you when you say that, when when it comes to the health and well being, I, I talk to officials all the time about you know, our officiating family. But there's been a lot of officials that I've, I would say, grown up with in a sense, being that I started so young, that found out health issues because of the requirements of physicals for their football season, and that's what brought up the health issues. So when you say it's not just for the football field. It's for the health of the whole person. It's it's really true. It is. Thank you. Yes, it is. Got I got I'm I'm gonna hit you with a softball, Mr. Coleman. This gonna this gonna be a good one. All right. After last year, you know, you guys had your conference had to deal with being some scrutiny. How was the vindication of knowing that your your crew worked the championship game and it went off with no problems? That was one, one of my best experiences uh, in officiating football. Um, from going, going from uh, the, the, first, the very first year I was, I was in the Pac-12 and getting the national championship after that, uh, and then uh, having a, a, a two semifinals and then getting nothing, uh, and then to come back and get the national championship again, um, I think that, that, that for me was extremely fulfilling. And one of the, the, the most fulfilling uh, experiences that I have had in my uh, career as a, as a leader in officiating. Uh, and, and, and then, like you say, to go, yeah, we had a couple hiccups, but to, to get in, get out, uh, even after being criticized because we were going and who was going, and we all know what that was about, which was totally unfounded uh, and, and had nothing to do with the conference having the opportunity and having earned the opportunity to get that game. Yes, it rotates, but you got to earn it. Right. You got to earn it. So we, sh- we showed that we deserved to be there, and when it was all over, you just heard a few people say, hey, these guys did all right. They called a good game. And that's all we want. That's it. Pat got something to say. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It was, it was the perfect officiated game because no one was talking about the officials after it was over other than those of us other officials that was cheering them on. So that's, that's the type of game that we want as officials. Exactly. I agree. So how, it, you know, the pac 12s going through a lot of changes, as a lot of conferences are. How excited are you to have Merton Hanks as part of the 
uh, officiating and football process that we're now going to have in the Pac-12. I'm very excited and very pleased. Merton's a good man. As I said earlier, you know, we, we knew each other at the NFL. Um, you know, he's, 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 he's someone who understands officiating, under, obviously understands the game, uh, understands uh, all aspects uh, of the game. And uh, he's, he's, a great, he's a great add to the, the Pac-12 staff. Um, we've already spent a, a lot of time together, uh, getting him on board and, and, and getting him, uh, settled in, into his role. Uh, and I, I, he's going to, he is, he is, he is definitely one who, who appreciates, understands, uh, and supports officiating and, and what we do. Uh, so we're in a very good place with, with Merton being, being added to, to our staff. Okay, because Mr. Coleman, like once once a lot of people saw um, Merton Hanks was hired, if it, 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 I guess underlining people was like, what what's your role going to be? Because a lot of people it came out like, oh, what's going to happen with you? So let let's establish that. I I report to Merton. Um, gotcha. Merton occupies the uh, the position of uh, senior associate commissioner for football operations, uh, which is the football administrator, and that's what Woody Dixon did. In addition to being the general counsel and the chief negotiator and all of the things that, that Woody did, we, we now have a, a person in Merton uh, who is totally, totally focused on football. Uh, and, you know, and to be in his position – you need somebody to run the officiating, okay? So I continue in that role, reporting to Merton. Is that, is that clear it up? That's perfect. Hey, I'm just put, hey, put some respect on your name. That's all I want to <laughs> That's all. All right, Mr. Coleman, so we're at a point now. We're going to, if you don't mind, we're going to have a little thing. It's, we have a section of the show where it's called Under Review. I'll ask you three questions, and just off the top of your head, just – answers Not, nothing too uh mind bending try and keep it easy we're a very relaxed show here sir all okay right. all right mr coleman where has officiating allowed you to travel had it not been for officiating uh, it took me to london for a london game uh as a as an instant replay official oh I've never been to London. <laughs> but you already yeah, was in you, Germany. You, you've been. But I hadn't been to you London. across the world. Man, that's a that's train. Come on. <laughs> See, you too busy getting them intramural games. You should have got on the train and went to London. Yeah, we, went, we, we focused on France and, and Belgium when we were over there. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So, okay. so, so hold on, Mr. Coleman. What was better, London or Sydney for football? I, enjoy, I enjoyed Sydney more. Oh, okay. That. I enjoyed Sydney more. I've heard Australia. <laughs> He's great. saying that because he was on the game with you, Mr. Coleman. Don't, 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 don't encourage him. <laughs> right. You had fun, didn't you, Craven? Oh, had a had a great time. I, I I'm still trying to convince my wife to this day to take that flight because I'm ready to go back to Sydney. I loved it. Yeah. All right, Mr. Coleman. Uh, what career accomplishment has made you the most proud? And that's and that's officiating in general, or, in general, or in life, field of life. 
appreciating our life. Uh, it, it, being, being most being most proud uh, is to uh, having based on the work that I have done, being able to take care of my family and to uh, and to positively influence uh, some young people along the way uh, who can maybe learn a few things from me. Uh, so it's kind of a general answer, but you know, it's about giving back and it's about taking care, care of our needs and those of the ones who I love. Appreciate it. Okay. Ms. Coleman, what do you think of when the, when you're in the command center and the R from a gay game says the previous play is under review? <laughs> I say, get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> That's, that, oh, no. they, that, that is the best answer. That's yet. it. We have seven <laughs> people. That is it. Get it right. There you go. So you grew up. I got to ask another question because you grew up. You said you grew up in Cleveland. So did you get a chance to watch those Cleveland Indians play? Was that one of the teams you rooted for and watching Larry Doby? Uh, you want my Larry Doby story? Yeah. Okay. Yes is the answer. Um, gotcha. my early, earliest memories in life. I mentioned when my mother told me about what my name was and my other earliest memory in life, which has stayed with me always. I didn't have to come back to that, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, a reawakening like I did with what my mom said, but going to my very first baseball game. Um, uh, and I was, I was, almost three and a half years old, went with my, went with, went with, went with my dad uh, and the Indians were playing and Larry Doby, Larry Doby made a catch in the outfield. He was playing left field and we were sitting in the stands by left field where he literally went on the cyclone fence, balanced himself on his waist, caught the home run ball and brought it back into the field. Uh, when Larry Doby died a few years ago and they were capturing his, his life uh, and talking about what he did, and I mean, there for the grace of God, Larry Doby would be Jackie Robinson. We all know that. Because it was the same year that Jackie came in that Larry came in a few months later. Okay? Um, and when I, when I read that that had really happened and the fact that I was there and I saw that when they talked about that very play in his obituary, you know, that was, you know, one of, one of my highlights in terms of sports in Cleveland. Just like another highlight was when the Browns won, uh, won the uh, national championship before we even had a Super Bowl. Okay, watched it on a black and white TV. Uh, didn't get to go to the game. Uh, but, you know, and, and great memories are we did have season tickets in the bleachers. They didn't call it the dog pound there, but, but the bleachers out there where, you know, the, the Reverend Pogue would preach fast on Sunday so we could get to the game on time. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just growing up in Cleveland with the Indians, you know, and the Browns, you know, sneaking in with a, with a bleacher ticket at an Indians game. And then, and then going around behind, the, behind the, the usher to get down behind home plate about halfway through the game when they didn't mess with you. You know, just, you know, all those activities that me and my friends uh, 
had and, and I had with family uh, have, have been really, really special in my man, life. Man, build moments, people. Everybody, listen to what the man's saying. Build moments in your life. He didn't bring up the drive, though. Where, where were you doing the drive? I don't want to talk about that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember where exactly I was, but I was sick. <laughs> I was sick. What about the fumble? What about the fumble? You know, I mean, both of them, you know? Um, you know, the, 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 the Browns, when, when I retired from the Army, went back to Cleveland. Unfortunately, that was the last year the Browns were in Cleveland before they moved Ooh. to Baltimore and became the Ravens. Mm. Um, and um, that experience, uh, one of the first things I did when I got back to Cleveland after I uh, was moving back there, I went and got my season tickets for the Browns, okay? Uh, and, you know, 40-yard line behind the Browns bench, great seats, about four or five rows back. I was officiating college football at the time. So, you know, I'd get back from my game on – uh, on Sunday, go straight from the airport. My wife would pick me up. We'd go straight to the game, watch nice. the game. Nice. Um, and then all of a sudden, two-thirds of the way through the season, it all fell apart. And, and, the, and the stadium became a, became a, 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 a mausoleum, literally. Was that cr- it took all the advertising down. Uh, you know, I, I, in fact, I didn't go to the final game. I gave – a guy at work, the t- my two tickets for that final game, and he went. I just said, "Bring me one back, okay, so I can keep it as a souvenir," because uh, they put a, a, a compress a stamp on it. You know, last game about in Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> he was talking about the seat. He brought, brought his wrench with him. <laughs> took the seat out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I got I got my ticket back, but I, I mean, I was done. And but but from my perspective, and this is the thing about Tom Beard. You know, when the Browns were leaving, everybody figured they were still going to be the Browns in Baltimore, the Baltimore Browns. And Tom Beard got me a cap that says Baltimore Browns on it. Okay, so it never it never came, but they already had a cap, but I got that in my cap collection. Oh, wow. Uh, but, I mean, that was – that was, and I understand a lot of people – I was upset, uh, and a lot of people, you know – blame this or blame that. But the fact was the Browns needed and deserved a new stadium and the city of Cleveland didn't give it to them. Okay. So they left and four years later, they got a new stadium and got a new team. They never had to, they never had to put the, the city never had to put the Browns to that. Okay. That, that's the greatest disappointment uh, that I have. And that was, you know, Bill Belichick was the coach. Right. right? Where would the Browns have gone if Bill Belichick would have stayed the coach and the Browns would have stayed in Cleveland. Eight and eight. <laughs> That's what I want you a mess, eight eight. Eight. That's what I want every you, year. They haven't got me. Eight eight. Eight. I'm just Hold up, Mr. Don't. Hey, you've been stunting the whole show. You just told us you had season tickets and flying back from your college game and you're coming back on the 40-yard line. still drafted Johnny Manziel. Stadium. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you've been stunting the whole show, Mr. Coleman. Hey, hey, I mean, those the, – the, the, the Browns – the Ravens, to me, the Ravens are the, still the Browns, and they won two Super Bowls, right? No. So, to me, the Browns do have two Super Bowls. Uh, okay. Right. Right. Not in Cleveland. Right. Not in Cleveland. Well, they got them in Baltimore. I like it. I like <laughs> but, the, but everybody's optimistic. Of, 
but the one of the best parts <laughs> of uh, the Cleveland Browns at that time was Ozzie Newsom, yeah. which you know became the general manager of the Baltimore Ravens, which delivered two Super Bowls. I mean, there you go. I mean, he yep. wound up being one of the best football executives probably in history for the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> for the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> But he started with he started with True. Belichick on that staff. Oh, and Belichick ended up being one of the greatest coaches for New England. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes sometimes you sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and if you snooze, you lose. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Ozzy's a good guy. I got to know Ozzy when I was at the NFL, and he was on the competition committee. Uh, in fact, uh, um, I was talking about uh, my uh, my my nephew. Uh, who who's an Ozzie Newsome fan. And the next time I saw Ozzy, you know, he said, David, I got something for you. And he gave me a jersey that he signed uh, to my nephew, uh, a, a number 82 jersey that my nephew now has uh, framed in his in his bedroom. I mean, Ozzy's great people. He's, he's a good man. Right. Well, Mr. Mr. Coleman, first of all, again, I want to thank you. This has been uh, – uh-oh, wait, Ashanti. Go Hold ahead. Up. Sorry. That's, that's – we're going to finish because Mr. Coleman asked, we talked about the current environment and you wanted to bring up that, Mr. Coleman. And I know you're a leader of men and you want to talk. Let's let's talk about how we should be out leading our communities. How You know what I'm saying? Okay. And, and, who, and, who, and before we start, who is this the message for? The, well, the, the message, the message is for anyone who's listening there to us. Go. Okay. Um, obviously there's, there's football folks who are going to listen to it. I'm sure. And I'm, there will be others as well, but, but what I want to make reference to is our responsibility as human beings. Um, it's, it's a situation where, and this goes back to my, my days at us steel when I was the the chief diversity officer, uh, it, it goes back to valuing the differences that we all have as people. Yes, we have different experiences. We have different places we come from. We have different races and creeds and religions, but we're all people. And what I see is a major flaw in society today that has existed for a long time and the pendulum has swung back. In my lifetime, I've seen civil rights, I've experienced um, the, the, the racism and the discrimination uh, and the pendulum was slowly moving in a positive direction. But what often happens is there's a backlash and things kind of return to the way they were and people begin to take the opportunity to reach back to their deep-seated feelings and fears and insecurities, and we find ourselves where we are now. But what we all need to make sure and carry this message forward to our colleagues is that when we get cut, it all bleeds red, okay? So value each other as human beings and make sure that we put that at the forefront, learn from our differences, and then make a commitment to go out and make things better. Okay, it's about reaching back as officials, find the next generation. 
okay? Positively influence them, bring them along, understand that we can't do it forever. You know, that's like, you know, in leadership, you know, in business, in government, politics, you know, we always have to be bringing on the next group who's gonna take our place, hopefully, and do a better job than what we did. So I think if we apply that philosophy to our, our, our social situation right now, we can begin to heal. Wow. All right. And also, I want to finish on this. Like, when you brought up the 101st, yeah. my dad was at Vietnam, and that was his, well, he was stationed as, which is funny. I just thought about that. He's a Hold screaming up. eagle. Yeah. I'm Hold in the Airborne Division. Hold on, Ashanti, yeah. your dad was? Because my, my dad was. My dad's a little older than Mr. Coleman. He, he was in 61, the same 60, age. 61 and 63. My dad Mr. was 101st. About, about old? They old? old no, no, I'm, old. no I'm, <laughs> I'm saying my father was. That's just crazy. As long as I've been knowing you, I didn't know that. My dad was 101st Airborne uh, yeah. as well. But it was, it was the early 60s for him. It was, um, he had two tours. But yeah, that's something I found out when I look, was looking at his um, service records. Yeah, um, yep. so yep. that's a great unit. I mean, it goes back to jumping into Normandy during World War II. You know, yeah. um, that that it's a it it was airborne, uh, and it stayed airborne through Vietnam. But with the advent of the helicopter, uh, it became the 101st Airborne Division, uh, Air Mobile. Uh, and then after it came back to Fort Campbell, and when I got to Fort Campbell, they were just closing back into, into Campbell from Vietnam. The last troops were coming back from Vietnam. And there were a lot of problems in that organization at that time with the reintegration of, of, the, of, of them back into the community. Uh, but um, then it became air assault. Got you. So I got my jump wings and I got my air assault wings. Wow. Hey. Hey, hey, I learned a lot from this. Um, I hope some of you young guys, if you come approach Mr. Coleman at a clinic, don't use this um, podcast as a reference, but um, <laughs> buy the man a drink. <laughs> Just buy the man a drink. <laughs> Thank you. Man. Well, I, 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 will, I will say, though, Monty, before we close this out, is there anything you want to say, Monty, before we close this out? No, I think I think the man you're, is you're impressed like the rest ha, ha, has said enough. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Hit the big time button on the I just absolutely appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of things that you can be doing, especially in this uh, COVID period. Uh, just thank you. Well, you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to, to be with you uh, to do this. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to to share my experience. Uh, hopefully I wasn't too long-winded, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like, I like, to, I like to, to tell the story, and, and it, it, always, it always makes me feel good when we got a few folks that want to listen to what this old dude did along the way. And, uh, you know, I just, I just say, you know, let's, 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 let's continue to be working hard and, and focus on our craft uh, and bring along those who will follow us. Uh, and work hard and and, uh, and and take your games to the next level because you can do it. Be good to each other, everyone. Mr. Coleman, thank you. Yeah. Hey, we, we, 
we can't say much more than that other than thank you. And I mean, it has been an experience. And once again, thank you. On the next Unofficial Lounge, we talk to Pac-12 referee Steve Strimmel. Well, I, I took 11 years off. Well, more than 11, I took 85, about 14 years off of college football. And then I stopped every, yeah, I took, a, I stopped everything. I just continued with high school football. But working all the sports, you know, there's a demeanor in, in a lot of different sports. And I didn't do a good job differentiating. Thank you for listening to this episode. Remember to please like and subscribe as the Unofficial Lounge is available on all your podcast streaming outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Anchor. We look forward to you joining us next time in the Unofficial Lounge.